Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. In many of our podcasts, we discuss the life and times of PhD students and research associates. Today, we're going to look at earlier career research and discuss master's programmes as a tool for health and social care professionals who want to gain a specific qualification in working with people with dementia and the Masters as a Path into Academia. I would like to welcome our panel today, who are both from the University of Bradford and who are going to shamelessly plug their new Masters in Advanced Dementia Studies, but also explain more generally what these programmes are about, who they're for, what people will get out of them. So I'd like to welcome Dr Catherine Quinn, a lecturer in Dementia Studies at the University of Bradford, and Dr Anna Barbosa, Dementia Care Consultant and Trainer also at the University of Bradford. Welcome to you both. So maybe we can start with a quick round table. You could introduce yourselves and your backgrounds. Catherine? Yeah, so I'm Catherine. I'm, as Megan said, I'm a lecturer at the Centre of Applied Dementia Studies at the University of Bradford. But before I was a lecturer, I was working as a senior research fellow. So I've actually been working in the dementia field for about nearly 15 years now. I've worked on lots of different dementia studies, focusing on primarily improving the quality of life of people with dementia and those who provide care for them. And Anna? Hello, my name is Anna. My background is in gerontology and I've joined the University of Bradford in 2015 as a, a dementia care consultant and trainer, uh, but I'm more uh, involved in teaching uh, for the Masters in Dementia Studies um, nowadays. My research interests are mainly focused on staff well-being, um, particularly the workforce that works in uh, care homes um, and uh, how to improve the, um, the job satisfaction and, and reduce the levels of stress of staff that work with people living in mentioned care homes. Okay, so just before we started recording this, we were talking about how you're both lecturers, but you both come from quite different backgrounds and you had different routes into becoming lecturers. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that before we go on to the Masters, because it's quite interesting. We were saying about how maybe people aren't aware that you can actually lecture in dementia. For early career researchers, it's it's worth bearing in mind, actually, there are a number of places now offering Masters in dementia, and, and there are a number of different lectureships associated with this. So I guess one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I came into teaching quite late into my career. I didn't go straight from doing PhD into lectureship, and I think it's important for listeners to hear there are other routes into it, um, because actually before I was a lectureship, as I mentioned, I was 15 years nearly working as a senior research fellow. Um, and that was at the University of Bradford, was it? And that was that all was, grant funded? That was at the University of Exeter and before um, then <laughs> Bangor University and that was all grant funded, yeah. And Anna, how did you yeah, come um, into it? I, it was not part of my plans to work <laughs> in dementia, so I didn't finish my degree and I thought to myself, I, I want to work in dementia. Um, but during my first degree, I spent a lot of my time working in care homes um, and I realised then that care homes uh, face a lot of challenges of working with increasing number of people with dementia and they lack the resources and preparedness to, to care for these people. So this was the the first time or the first incline that um, uh, that I experienced and I, I, I thought to myself, well, this would be uh, interesting to work with. Uh, and since the degree, I think I was... Um, I took advantage of the, the opportunities that mm -hmm. came up. Um, 
so I was involved in a master's degree where I had the opportunity to work with people in dementia and carers. Um, and were and you, the, you were doing the master's or you were teaching on it? Uh, I was doing the master's. Okay. I was a master's student. Yeah. Um, I, um, I had the opportunity to work with uh, people with dementia and, and um, their carers. And after the master's, I also was involved in um, research as a research associate um, in different projects, also involved people with dementia. Uh, and this um, kind of improved my interest and fascination, fascination with, the, with the topic um, and inspired me to take up the challenge of a PhD. And then w- when you're in a PhD, you finish the PhD and you have two choices. Yeah. You either quit because you realise <laughs> that your uh, academia is not for you or um, you pursue an academic pathway. Um, and during the PhD, uh, fortunately, I had a number of opportunities to teach uh, for post- postgraduate courses, and I, I really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, not only it has improved my confidence, um, but I think there's something very cool about being able to change students, uh, mm-hmm. student attitudes yeah. uh, and values, um, support and guide students, um, share your knowledge, share your skills with, with students. So my first job after the PhD was uh, as a trainer, dementia care consultant and trainer at the University of Bradford. I think trainer goes hand in hand with uh, with uh, with teaching, um, and this um, this experience with training provide me with a lot of good examples uh, and people's experience that I can now share um, in the masters that I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. So you both are lecturers. Are you both teaching on the master's course as well as undergrad course? And then do you also have PhD students? So we both just teach on the master's level course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we also have PhD students as well. At Bradford, mm-hmm. we have a doctoral training centre that was funded by the Alzheimer's Society. So, yeah. OK. Uh, so maybe, as I said in the intro, you're going to shamelessly plug your uh, the MSc at Bradford. Obviously, we should say there are a lot of masters out there that specialise in dementia but maybe if we can get into the specifics about the one at Bradford and then we could talk generally about how a masters can help with your path into academia. So what does the course at Bradford specifically involve? Anna? Yeah I can start. <laughs> uh, so the masters in advanced dementia studies at University of Bradford um, is for people that have contacts with people living with dementia and um, and is a three-year part-time distance learning course that offers flexibility to study and work uh, at the same time. So it's designed to be as flexible as possible, um, and um, both international and national students can come together uh, to share their ideas and, and their experiences um, of working with dementia. So I guess m- most of our students um, enroll in these masters because they want to improve the care and lives for of those affected by dementia, but also um, to increase the confidence and the knowledge and the leadership skills uh, to influence practice. So the idea of these masters is to create leaders in dementia care. Uh, so we mainly adopt a human rights approach to dementia care, which is about empowering people to claim their rights. And it's also about ensuring that people's rights are respected and integrated in the care that is delivered. Uh, we have a number of um, different modules. Yeah. Um, very, uh, We are focused on research. Um, 
And also we have option models as the how to improve communication with people living with dementia, heart and activities, so how to develop, implement and evaluate uh, interventions um, in, in care settings or with people living with dementia uh, and post-diagnostic support. And in the end, in the master's, um, students are asked to plan and implement um, and also evaluate a practice change initiative. I had a question. So you said... Um that it's uh, distance learning mm-hmm. and you have international and national students. So as an international student, could you be based in another country and complete the Masters? Yeah, yes. so it's all... It's great. It's all <laughs> online teaching, so it's okay. quite... Um, it's new to me because obviously I've always done face-to-face teaching, but all the teaching is done online. Mm-hmm. And the but do you do um, Skype or do you ever have face-to-face? So we ha- virtual we do t- face-to-face. We have tutorials. <laughs> okay. Um, so we have that sort of contact there. But also within the course, there are exercises where um, students will, will work on something and post their discussions on a, on a discussion board. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of interact with each other. So they comment on each other's mm-hmm. um, posts. So it's really about collaborative learning. Yeah, and have you found that works quite well? Are people really engaged yeah. with the forums? Yeah. So one of our one of our the, the current cohort have a Facebook group outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. The online. So they do actually, and um, it's nice actually because you see them commenting on each other's work, and of course that's great because you people learn yeah. through think, commenting on others. Yeah. I think there's a tendency um, to assume that uh, distance learning degrees can be very isolated because mm. it's you and a computer and you log on to computer um, but this course is very very interactive um, so people can enjoy uh, tutorials speak to to our colleagues um, there's materials to download uh, so it's not only log on in a computer it, it requires self-motivation and independent study but it's not a light touch course. Um, so you can work in a coffee shop or before yeah. going to bed. So you have that flexibility. Um, and, but you can work, you can work anywhere um, from anywhere in the world. I think that's uh, one of the, um, the advantages of this course. And I think we're seeing this in, in university courses in general, you know, that more and more there's a move towards perhaps online learning. I mean, the benefit for us and for the people taking part, you know, is that, We'll, you know, these are people who will have contact with people with dementia, so they'll be working. So there's a flexibility to do this around their, their job or their family life or their caring duties. And, you know, I think it's fantastic to have that opportunity out there for people who a traditional course of face-to-face learning and attending lectures wouldn't be suitable for them. Mm-hmm. So you said you sort of, in the end, creating uh, dementia care leaders. So is it vocational or...? Academic? Do you do placements, or at the end, do you write a research project? Are they both? Are they very similar? Have I said the same thing? So it's very much a sort of vocational. So the people taking part are working with some form of access to people with dementia to begin with. So maybe they're working in care homes. So actually, their kind of um, the final year project is really doing something within the service that they're working in, which is great because that has real world impact. Because they're able to to do some, I've got a student looking at robot, robotic pets, for instance, within a care home environment. Wow. But mm-hmm. you know that means that they can have real world impact in mm-hmm. terms of where they're working at the moment and doing that. Yeah. So although we've sort of talked about the masters being a route into academia, it's also a standalone thing that can just strengthen your own, like you said, your confidence, your leadership skills within the job that you already have working with people with dementia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's important because I think people. 
you know, there are different routes into things, as I said at the start, there's different routes into teaching, for instance. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and completing a master's has, has several benefits. Uh, it may open up career opportunities in, in academia. So, for instance, it may, it may improve interest to pursue a, a PhD. Um, not only in academia, um, I think in a competitive market, a master's can set people apart from other uh, applicants. I actually wondered about that because you don't necessarily have to have done a master's to do a PhD in this country, do you? So would you say that the majority of people who sign up to do the master's are using it for their job already or as a stepping stone to do a PhD? Mostly for their job. I mean, I would say that it's quite hard to do a PhD without doing a master's beforehand Mm -hmm. because I think I don't think degrees give you enough training. Um, For most of the people we're working with, you know, it's around helping them with their job. You know, they get an opportunity to play, to, you know, close attention to what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been doing some work with some students and it's about, um, they've done a piece of work around observing communication with people with dementia. So they've sat back and watched um, people interacting with people with dementia or people with dementia interacting with others. And there's some really fascinating insights from that. And it's just about them observing what's happening in the environment that they work in. And it generates understanding for them. Mm-hmm as, you know, a better understanding of dementia as well. And uh, we sort of often hear about research-led teaching. Uh, How do you integrate your own research into the master's programme? So I think there's there's different ways, because one is actually research experience. So a great example is ethics. I mean, obviously... Your work as a researcher, you've encountered many ethics and ethics boards. And um, so I've been with my students, you know, talking about my experience of seeking consent from a person with dementia, going through the Mental Capacity Act. I showed the students a consent form, a proper NHS consent form, and they were quite thrown by the lengthiness of it. But it's <laughs> this quite is it, such a common thing on all these podcasts. <laughs> but it's quite interesting because it's, you know, I was explaining to them, you know, if I went into where you worked and I wanted to work with people, this is the procedure. Um, so there's a lot of our experience that comes into it. Um, as I say, I mentioned before, I was doing something about getting people to observe communication. I worked, I did three years on a project with people with advanced dementia with little or no verbal communication. And that sort of experience of doing the observational work and talking to them about, um, part of it is me talking to them about my experiences in relation to what they're studying. But um, at the moment, I'm actually developing a brand new module on post-diagnostic support pathways for people with dementia. And part of that is actually really about making sure I bring in the up-to-date research. You know, we've had the new NICE guidelines. Um, I've had experience myself of running a, a group for people with the early stages of dementia. But, you know, we have other pe- wider people in our team. It's not just Anna and myself. We have at Bradford, you know, we have expertise, people who work with people who are, have early onset dementia, for instance, people who are from ethnic, different ethnic minority groups. Um, there's a lot of expertise that can be brought into what we're developing and you know, bringing research into it is ensuring that people have access to the most up-to-date information. Because I know, Anna, you said your research is staff wellbeing, so that's sort of looking at the other side of it in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to say that we strongly believe that good research equals good teaching. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I think we see research and teaching as a, a, they are both in a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they are not separated, they complement each other. Um, and so research, uh, we use research to improve teaching credibility. Um, I think that's, that's one of the main purposes. Uh, but we also use research uh, in, in different ways. So to inform content um, of our teaching modules. So um, 
we use research to filter what's out there and share the most robust information about topics. For instance, my my own research topic is um, staff well-being in care homes. Um, I tend to to bring my own experience uh, and the challenges I faced while I was completing my PhD on this topic, uh, the challenge I faced when recruiting people for oh, a study yes. and when evaluating uh, interventions in care homes, I used to bring my own experience um, to, to the models and uh, modules I teach. But we also use research to inform effective teaching and identify what works in terms of learning and teaching activities. Um, and we are also very keen to engage experienced research staff in teaching. As, as you said, it's not only me uh, and Catherine in the team. We, we also have a lot of experienced um, member of staff that um, their experience is very valuable and we, we obviously include them in our teaching as well. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think one thing I was just going to say is I think, you know, when you're doing early career research or you're doing a PhD, you, you kind of forget some of the skills that you're learning on the way. You're thinking about the knowledge-based skills that you're getting but you're also developing a huge amount of transferable skills as well and as we've just talked about you know we bring our experience the joys of doing ethics and things like that but we bring it into our teaching or doing systematic yeah. reviews which is what we're doing at the moment but it's um don't forget that you you know you are learning these transferable skills on the way yeah and sort of to loop back around to what we were talking about at the beginning you're both lecturers but you obviously have research interest how does it work in your job are you a lecturer who does research on the side? Or are you a researcher who teaches? How do you, how do you feel your time is split? I think it's it's combined. Um, I am heavily involved in what's called the Ideal Study, which is a big cohort study looking at living well with dementia. And that study has been running since two thousand and fourteen, and I'm was actually employed as a senior research fellow on that. I am still actively involved in that study, still working on papers from that. So. I have to say that having switched, it, it is a bit of a challenge to balance your time. I think anybody new to a lectureship position, regardless, will always say that. So it is a challenge to balance your time. But it's kind of, I enjoy teaching as well. So it's not like, you know, there's a sort of enjoyable activity. Mm-hmm. It's Also, I think you're not going to get good research ideas by just sitting staring at a computer. For me, um, research ideas come from talking to people and even engaging with the students that I'm with at the moment. It's quite I'm learning things that's quite fascinating and that starts to trigger in my brain ideas about research. Well, I was going to say, actually, there was that big ad campaign for like, secondary school teachers yeah. and they showed you know kids just asking these questions that you sort of wouldn't ask yourself. You'd forget how to ask those questions because you're so focused on something. To, so to have someone ask a more simple question, you might go, oh, yeah. But it's, it's easy, but it just sort of triggers. And I think that's... You, <clears throat> You know, I think it's um, interact. As I say, for me, that's the ben- that's why we love doing both because, and that's why I do research as well because I like interacting with people and going out working with people with dementia and carers. And um, you learn a lot from doing it. So we're coming to the end of the podcast now. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the specifically about the masters at the University of Bradford? Yes, yeah, so I just wanted to mention the experts by experience. Um, so the experts by experience are a group of people with dementia and carers or ex-carers who, so I guess there are sort of a patient to public involvement group and they're very much involved in the teaching that we do. And I think that's incredibly important because for the past five years on the ideal study that I work on, um, I've been working with a PPI group there called the Always Group and they've been so vital to the research study and the research that we've been doing. And it, it's equally as important, we don't just involve people in, in research, but we also involve them in our teaching as well. We involve people living with mentioned the carers in everything we do. 
training, research um, and uh, teaching. Uh, and we think it's beneficial to everyone, for people uh, and the carers, for students and for us as academics. Uh, so mainly we involve people at different stages of our work, uh, from design, so make sure that the content reflects people's needs and their experiences, um, to make sure that the language we use in, the, in our work is appropriate. In the delivery, for instance, uh, modules delivery, um, we value that contribution because our master's is uh, distance learning. Uh, we tend to use videos, so we ask people living with mesh and their carers uh, to be involved uh, in videos that then we use as a mm. teaching tool yeah. uh, that students uh, found very uh, beneficial. Um, and we also ask people living with dementia and their carers to help us to access students' assignments. Um, a few months ago, uh, we had a, a group of people with dementia and their carers um, going through students' assignments um, particularly focusing on the language used by students. And this is language about people who have dementia or and the yeah, condition? It's, it's the use of person-centred language, so it's mm. about how people talk about people living with dementia in general and, and dementia in general. Sort of imagine if people looked at articles that people publish, it'd be quite interesting as well because sometimes yeah. the language used there is not is not appropriate. Well, it's a is bit it? detached, isn't it? Often scientific yeah. language, yeah. you sort of forget that there's a person yeah. behind what you're saying. So yeah, people want uh, and enjoy being involved in um, in the work that we conduct at the centre, and all the feedback so far has been very positive, and this also keeps us motivated to create more opportunities to involve people. You know, because I always you know, say to students is, particularly when teaching undergraduates, is, you know, really to understand dementia, you really need to meet somebody who has it um, to understand the condition, I think. And we can't bring that into our teaching the same way, but bringing in people's experiences, either through videos or their diaries or other information, you know, really can illustrate what it's like to live with dementia. Well, yeah, PPI is very important in research grants at the moment, so yeah, it must inform your teaching. I think it's incredibly important now, and I'm seeing it increasingly sort of being used so but I think it's great because you're bringing in people's experiences into teaching therefore it helps people to learn better and, and to understand what dementia actually is yeah so finally is there any advice you would give to people thinking of pursuing further education my advice is don't jump straight into it you know <laughs> yeah. because I think you've got to think about what's best for you I very commonly come across undergraduate students and it's this kind of career progression of undergraduate straight into master's, straight into PhD. I think you need a, a bit of time to think about mm -hmm. what is it you want to do. Uh, there are a whole array of different types of master's courses out there. We're talking about one specifically in dementia, the specific ones in psychology. There's, there's a huge array of them out there and you have to think about what is it that you'll get out of doing the course? What's best for you? You know, how is this going to help your career progression? Ours is obviously specifically designed for people who are working with people with dementia, who, who you know, want to advance their skills. Other types of masters focus on different things. Um, but, you know, really think about it. And I, I, I highly encourage people not, not to do this route of undergraduate masters and straight into PhD. You know, have a break because, you know, you learn a lot of life skills on the way. And, you know, that's important, particularly if you're doing a PhD or something like that, to bring those sort of skills into things. 
Yeah, I agree. And my, my advice would be first, be ready for a challenge yeah. uh, and be fully aware of the level of commitment that is required to complete a master's. Um, it requires a lot of self-motivation and um, independent study. And people tend to assume that a master's is a natural extension of the first degree, but it's likely to be more difficult. Um, and students have to work harder because the level of basic competency is higher. So students in a master's are challenged to be more rigorous and to read more and work more than in a first degree. Yeah, I agree. Um, the second advice would be be passionate about studying and about improving care. <laughs> Well, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for coming in. We will put a link to how you can find out more about the Bradford Master's Programme and any other Master's Programmes. Do you know when the next application date is for the next intake? Yes. Um, so the deadline to apply for the Master's in Manchester this is the 9th of August. OK. And uh, the Master will start in September. OK, we've got time then. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. And if you'd like to add anything to this topic, please do post your comments in the forum or on our website or drop us a line on Twitter using hashtag ECR Dementia. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.